0: Hello, I'm Eric Sorensen, and welcome to the West Block podcast for Sunday, April 22nd. On the show this week, talks heat up on NAFTA, with high-level ministerial meetings expected again this week in Washington. With progress towards a deal, congressional representatives in the U.S. are calling for dairy restrictions in a new NAFTA agreement. We'll find out why. Then, Alberta introduces legislation to restrict the flow of oil and gas to B.C., and Ottawa vows new jurisdictional measures to build the Trans Mountain Pipeline. What impact is the pipeline politics having on provincial-federal relations? And in just over six weeks, voters go to the polls in Ontario. The NDP has tabled its election platform. Will it be enough to convince voters to make party leader Andrea Horvath the new premier? But first, are we close? Canada's lead minister on NAFTA was in Washington this past week. Christia Freeland is going again this week. The push is on to wrap up a deal. Auto rules of origin is the big file they're working on, but where does that leave one of the most contentious issues? Canada's supply management in the dairy sector. That's a deal-breaker for some Americans. Several senators and members of Congress have written letters to the U.S. trade representative insisting that this country bring down what they call Canada's dairy wall. They are threatening to withhold their support of NAFTA in Congress. Joining us now from Albany, New York, is Republican Congressman John Faso. Representative Fasso, you and your colleagues are saying that New York State dairy farmers are in a crisis. Is the crisis because of your overproduction and not because Canadians buy their own expensive milk? Well, it really is uh, twofold. One, there is an a oversupply of
1: milk uh, worldwide. There's no doubt about that. But it's very clear also that until the Canadians established this Class Seven milk system, which is really a protectionist uh, scheme uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, the New York dairy farmers and from uh, dairy farmers from other U.S. Uh, states were selling the ultra-filtered milk in Canada. That has basically been closed out. We estimate that New York farmers alone have lost uh, uh, between 50 and $60 million this year uh, because of the protectionist policy on Class 7 milk that uh, Canada
0: and its provinces have implemented. Canadian negotiators say the U.S. subsidizes its agriculture in other ways with government loans and such. Is there any give on that side or is it just that supply management has to be given up on this side? Well, I think I think what we have to do
1: is recognize that the U.S. and Canada are good friends and allies and neighbors and we've we've got to be serious about the negotiation. I think the allegation about U.S. subsidization of of uh, dairy farms is actually misplaced. Um, we have a uh, insurance system in place uh, that, uh, frankly, hasn't been very effective. We're, we're trying to fix that now in the House Agriculture Committee in the 2018 Farm Bill. Uh, but we have other conservation programs that uh, encourage better farming practices, better use of the land, ag- uh, environmental protection, water protection. I'm sure Canada does the same thing. Uh, so we're both environmentally conscious. And I think really the problem here is, uh, as I mentioned, twofold. We do have an oversupply of milk. We have to encourage people to drink more milk instead of those uh, fake things that they call milk, like almond milk and soy milk, uh, because those really aren't milk in my view and in the view of, I think, Canadian and American dairy farmers. But I think we have to, uh, through the NAFTA process, we, we really need to get serious uh, I want to see a, a, a strong NAFTA arrangement and agreement between our two countries. In New York State alone, we have over 600,000 jobs that depend on U.S.-Canada trade. But dairy continues to be an irritant, I think, uh, on the American side. And uh, so we need to deal with the fact that the Canadians now are dumping uh, tremendous amounts of uh, powdered milk uh, and high-protein uh, milk substitute milk uh, products into the world market, and that is... Uh, d- greatly depressing the world price for milk as well. So that's something I, th- I think uh, Canadians need to uh, take a close look at.
0: How big is this for the US dairy? Is it a must-have for American negotiators?
1: Well, I would say this, uh, it's a negotiation. I think both sides uh, need to give on, you know, on various issues and so it may not uh, it may not be a give on just dairy uh, on one side or the other, but there are other issues that, Obviously, you're in this negotiation. I'm not privy to those negotiations, uh, but let me say this, uh, that uh, members of Congress and the House and the Senate uh, have been pressing the White House very strongly on the plight of our dairy industry and what is going on and what we perceive to be the unfair treatment on Class Seven milk uh, that has originated in Canada, Canada over the last year and a half. And, and as good friends and allies and neighbors, I, I hope that we can come to a reasonable accommodation here because our farmers are hurting and uh, this is not taking anything away from uh, Canadian dairy farmers uh, and from Canadians certainly but we do really need to I hope that our Canadian friends take a close look at at the strong feelings on this side of the border about Canada's
0: practices in this area. If the US had joined the Trans-Pacific Partnership there is a dairy quota provision in there uh, it's a place where US producers could be filling that quota.
1: Yeah, I think the U.S., uh, frankly, uh, I'm a Republican, but I think the Republican administration has made some missteps on trade. Uh, A lot of the rhetoric has been not helpful. And I do think, though, the administration is focused uh, now properly on trying to get a NAFTA agreement done. It's very important that we have a strong trading relationship with the best international friend that we have, and that is Canada. And uh, it's very important that we get this done quickly. But I, I don't think that either side should be looking uh, to basically just achieve a one-sided deal over the other. We should we should do it from a reciprocal and fair relationship.
0: I don't know how much President Trump is delving into the NAFTA details, but he does seem to know that dairy matters big time to Wisconsin, he visited there, and that Wisconsin uh, matters big time in the president's electoral map. Do you think that's a factor in what's coming down from the administration, like, I need this one?
1: Well, I couldn't really tell you. I, I don't know. I'm not privy to the thinking there, uh, but uh let's just say that uh on all of these issues uh when when we have trade issues internationally uh certainly agriculture is often the first area within the US uh, domestic economy to feel the pinch because we are such a major agricultural producer in commodity products and uh products like dairy so we we have 40% of our dairy exports go to Mexico and uh, it's very important that we have again a a strong North America free trade agreement uh, that can be modernized and updated uh, to accommodate the needs of all three nations. But I'm hopeful that our friends to the north will understand our concern about their dairy practices. And I take it you think Canadian consumers might like freer trade in dairy products? Well, I don't know. That's, uh, I, I don't have my finger on the pulse of uh, Canadian public opinion. I know you have your supply management system, which is a different system than what we have uh, here in the U.S., and I'm I'm not uh, t- suggesting that Canada should change that, uh, but I do think when you're dealing internationally and when you're putting excess uh, production on the world market, it's having a depressing uh, price on the on uh, impact on the price internationally, and that's adversely affecting your neighbors to the south. So I hope uh, the Canadian public and Canadians uh, will take heed of that, and I encourage Canadians and our U.S. Uh, friends uh, to. Uh, drink more milk, because that would surely help uh, our oversupply problem. Congressman Faso, thanks
0: very much for talking to us. Thank you very much. What a battle that's taking shape in Western Canada. Uh, Alberta plans legislation to restrict the flow of oil and gas to B.C. Saskatchewan is doing the same. Plus, Ottawa will introduce measures to strengthen federal jurisdiction over BC. Is this the beginning of a constitutional crisis? And what will this do to interprovincial relations? Joining us now from Edmonton is Jason Kenney, former federal cabinet minister and leader of the United Conservative Party in Alberta. And Jason Kenney, you're no shrinking violet when it comes to hardball politics, but on this file, there are a lot of Albertans who want a strong response. What is, would you say, is a strong but reasonable prescription?
2: I've said uh, since the NDP came to office in Victoria that we need to have a strategy beginning with uh, diplomacy and persuasion, but if that doesn't work, we need to demonstrate there will be consequences. If that NDP government violates the Constitution, the rule of, tra- of law, free trade within Canada, and attacks not only Alberta, but Canada's vital economic interests. I suggested that uh, if persuasion didn't work, we would start with something like a wine boycott. The Premier came around to that in January. And then I suggested we could ramp it up to things like safety inspections on BC goods passing through uh, Alberta because if they won't allow us to export our key product, why would we allow that to go without a response? I've also suggested everything up to and including uh, 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 questioning why BC Gas gets to move through pipelines in Alberta toll-free, and including turning off the taps, using the power that Peter Lougheed adopted uh, 38 years ago to fight Pierre Trudeau's national energy program. And I'm pleased to see that Premier Notley, uh, while she initially ridiculed the idea, has come around to making it her own with legislation before Alberta's legislature now.
0: It strikes some that, uh, you know, to see conservatives in Alberta uh, not opposing greater federal intervention in your backyard, but do you see it as extraordinary times?
2: Well, this is not really federal intervention. We're asking the federal government to exercise what is without a doubt its exclusive constitutional jurisdiction, which is the regulation of interprovincial pipelines. In fact, I've called on the federal government for sake of greater clarity to invoke a a, a special power that's been in the Constitution for a, a century and a half, the declaratory power, Section 9210C by declaring the Trans Mountain Pipeline as being for the common advantage or I suggested they could bring forward legislation which apparently they now intend to do just asserting federal paramountcy, federal authority in this area. So look, uh, we respect provincial jurisdiction and want to fight for that. For example, our jurisdiction to regulate the production of upstream oil and gas that the feds are now trying to get into. But we also respect federal jurisdiction in ensuring free trade, particularly on critical interprovincial infrastructure projects like a pipeline
0: is is a is a constitutional battle essentially underway i mean we've failed in the past this country meet charlottetown et cetera to resolve a real clarity on uh, provincial powers and now we seem to be facing just that kind of an issue and you could well, be premier a year or so from now and how are you gonna manage that
2: well yes i do think this is uh, becoming a constitutional crisis you have a provincial government which is illegally asserting a power to violate federal jurisdiction, to attack the country's national economic interest, basically to say that it has, at, it, it can, at whim, decide what products are exported from one of Canada's two major coasts. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is a complete violation of the whole concept of Canada from Confederation as an economic union. Uh, and if this is allowed to stand, what does it say about this country? Why is it easier to move, for example, oil and gas through the 28? sovereign member states of the european union than between two neighboring canadian provinces with completely integrated economies and uh, and, uh, and economic interests so we cannot allow this to stand which is why we and justin trudeau could stop this tomorrow if he tr- was serious about asserting federal authority for example just two weeks ago he negotiated a four billion dollar discretionary transfer to BC for infrastructure they're negotiating over a billion for job training why would they reward a government that is refusing to allow a seven billion dollar private infrastructure investment and is committed to killing jobs by killing this pipeline
0: are you are you running out of time though in terms of getting this approved uh, Kinder Morgan makes it sound like Canada doesn't work for them may not work for private industry yeah uh, you know can can you get You know, with court cases coming, with indigenous uh, protests uh, potentially, um, it feels like there's not enough time to get a deal that will work for everyone.
2: I hope that's not right, but I share your concern, Erica. The, the, The strategy of the opponents of economic progress has been death by delay proposed provincial regulations endless consultations NDP municipal governments in BC refusing to grant permits there's hundreds of permit applications by kinder Morgan to the provincial government that are that are moving as slow as molasses uh, uh, by the way the vast majority of First Nations along the Kinder Morgan pipeline route virtually all of them support this project and they've benefited from the kinder Morgan pipeline that has been delivering energy to the lower mainland for the past six decades unfortunately there's a small number number that are lawyered up uh, and that, that are just in a constant as uh, part of the strategy of death by delay the illegal protests are also part of that in which the federal NDP and Greens have engaged so I am concerned and Kinder Morgan has been very clear about this they say that the project may be quotes untenable they've given us a deadline it's just four weeks away we cannot assume that they are bluffing Trans Canada Pipeline killed Energy East for similar reasons, uh, and with it the dream of energy independence, they called the bluff of governments. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. On this project that represents hundreds of billions of dollars, a future value to the Canadian economy.
0: Well, as it turns out, a pipeline is putting the Federation to the test. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Jason Kenny, thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Eric.
0: The Ontario election is less than seven weeks away. It's widely seen as a referendum on Kathleen Wynne's Liberal government. Or the Conservative opposition led by Doug Ford, who's leading in the polls? But is there a third way with the NDP's Andrea Horvath? Remember, 28 years ago, an unpopular Liberal government, a PC party with a brand-new leader, and Ontario voters turned to Bob Ray and the New Democrats for the first and only time in the province's history. Could lightning strike again? Joining us now from Queen's Park in Toronto is NDP leader Andrea Horvath. Ms. Horvath, thank you for joining us. The, The polls say that you are personally more popular than either Ms. Wynne or Mr. Ford, but your party lags behind you. What is the biggest hurdle for you to persuade Ontario voters beyond that first 20-25% to vote NDP?
3: Well, I mean, I think people have a big choice ahead of them. Lots of folks are saying that uh, Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals uh, are not going to continue to govern this province. So then there's a choice that people have. And I believe that the New Democrats and myself bring a choice for change for the better. Mr. Ford is going to drag this province backwards, uh, and, and people have to make that decision. And I think that uh, when they see our message that things don't have to be the same way as they have been for a long time, you don't have to keep switching between Liberals and cons- conservatives between bad and worse you can have a hope for the future of this province Uh, they uh, I think will be looking at us very seriously
0: that sounds like you're already trying to set up a dynamic where it is you versus Doug Ford if you could just push Kathleen Wynne aside uh, we saw that your platform calls for more deficits is that also a way of not letting the liberals outflank you on the left the way that uh, the uh, NDP was outflanked in the federal election three years ago
3: well, you know, I think first and foremost, Kathleen Wynne has already pushed herself aside. I mean, I don't think that um, uh, that there are many Ontarians who are happy with Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals. I think that's pretty clear. And so now the choice is between, I really do believe that, between myself and Mr. Ford. And, you know, the, there are some... Um, certainly some things in our platform that uh, liberals will say they have in their budget as well. But the difference is uh, we believe everybody deserves care, not just folks who are below the age of 25 and above the age of 65. We think dental care actually needs to be available for people, not just um, a rebate or a refund for services that people can't afford in the first place. So we're excited about our platform because not only does it provide these uh, things that people need and that will help make life better for folks, but we also show how we will pay for it. Unlike Kathleen Wynne and unlike Doug Ford, uh, we believe the wealthiest amongst us and the most profitable corporations are going to have to help us uh, to pay for these uh, services. and, And they are not interested at all in asking their wealthy friends to pay a little bit more.
0: I I travelled on the campaigns with Bob Ray and uh, David Peterson back in 1990. You really didn't see the change coming until very late in the campaign. Do you see a tipping point that would uh, have to come, say, late in the campaign and maybe not immediately that will will move this uh, and move you into a position to be able to actually win?
3: Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm not so sure that uh, that uh, I have the um, the crystal ball. I don't know that anybody does. But what I can tell you is I'm proud of our platform. I know that families out there are having a hard time. I know that people are not filling their prescriptions. I know that people are worried about the state of our long-term care system. They want Hydro to be back in public hands. Uh, they want to make sure our hospitals don't have people lined up in stretchers for days on end in, in a situation that lacks privacy, that lacks dignity. These are things... uh, that we can fix. These are problems that Kathleen Wynne has created. uh, And look, Doug Ford and his cuts, they're not going to fix those problems. Uh,
0: uh, Kathleen Wynne has described uh, Doug Ford as Donald Trump North, that he's a bully and he's bringing smear tactics to Canada. Do you agree with her?
3: Well, you know what? Um, those two can fight amongst themselves and get down into the mud. I'm going to be focused on what I think can change for the better in Ontario, and that's what our platform's all about, and that's what I'm all about as a leader. I think government should be about putting the people at the heart of every decision you make and, and using public dollars and, and the public purse, if you will, to make life better for Ontarians. And, and that's where I'm going to stay focused.
0: One of the one of the issues that arises is a split of the vote on the, in the progressive vote, let's say, and if that were to happen, it's possible that you could then see out of that a not just a conservative government, but a conservative majority government. What would that mean for progressive voters?
3: Well, you know, I think that that's the uh, story that's uh, played out in a couple of uh, past elections, but this time, you know, Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals are already, you know, a a party that people don't want to have governing the province anymore. I mean, people don't want Kathleen Wynne as as the Premier anymore. I believe uh, folks have already made that decision. That's certainly uh, what people are telling me on the ground, what I'm hearing everywhere I go. And so, that dynamic is is not the same this time around. It's quite a different scenario uh, and people are not looking at Kathleen Wynne as uh, as the Premier. There's going to be a new Premier in the Premier's chair come June 7th and that decision has to be made. Is it going to be myself or is it going to be Doug Ford?
0: We shall see. Uh, Andrea Horvath in Toronto, thank you.
3: Thank you, Eric. Take care.
0: I'm Eric Sorensen. Thank you for listening to the West Block podcast. For more, go to our website, thewestblock.ca. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and tune in again next week for another West Block.